because certainly in an ancient tradition that says water is life, somehow that becomes a debatable and murky subject in today's day of 2021. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. I'm your host, Benjamin Rangel. So you may have noticed that you have not seen Bridge the City in your podcast feed as often as usual. Well, we are happy and excited to be back and looking forward to what the future holds. However, the reason we took a short break is because Bridge the City is in a bit of a transition at the moment. Over the last year or so, our team of six has shrunk to a team of two. Currently on the team, it's just me and producer Ashley Benson. And as you know, Bridge the City is a passion project, and both Ashley and I volunteer our time to produce these episodes and other content through the platform. As such, we have had to slow down just a bit. However, we're looking to expand our team. We will have more information to follow, but if you know someone who is passionate about the city of Milwaukee, interested in podcasting and journalism, and has a desire to get listeners more involved in the community, please let us know. You can contact us through our social media or through our website. Lastly, we want to thank those listeners who have stuck with us over the last few years, and especially our patrons, those who support the show on a monthly basis through patreon.com slash bridge the city. Shout out to those patrons, Peter, Andrew, Molly, Casey, Ben H, Teague, Max, Spring, Katie, Rachel, Maya, Will, Courtney, Taylor, Colin, Luke, Stephen, Brianna, Kelly, Matt, Liz S, and Liz F. Thanks so much for your support. With that, let me introduce today's episode about the Milwaukee River Greenway. On today's episode, we feature three guests. The first is Mark Denning, who is enrolled in the United Tribe of Indians of Wisconsin, and he and I had an amazing conversation about the role of water in stewarding our own lives. Then we'll hear from Eddie Daniel, whose new book titled The Milwaukee River Greenway, A Wealth of Nature in the Heart of the City is what inspired this episode. And lastly, we'll hear from Kimberly Gleffey, who is the executive director of the River Revitalization Foundation, and she talks about that organization, which is just one of the many amazing organizations doing work to preserve and celebrate the Milwaukee River Greenway and all the green spaces that are such a unique, vibrant part of our community. Since the cold weather has arrived, folks might be taking fewer hikes nowadays, but let's hope this episode keeps your heart warm and you thinking of milder days to come and empowers you to make it through the winter. Here is Mark Denning. My American name is uh, Mark Denning. Uh, I live here in the Milwaukee metro area. Uh, and I've been here for most of my life, originally born on Menominee Reservation. And what I, the words I shared with you just a little bit earlier was kind of a, a greeting in, uh, in an Anishinaabe and Ojibwe language. Um, and I shared my clan, which is Sturgeon clan, and also uh, where I was from, which is Neopit, Wisconsin. That is where I was born uh, on the Menominee Reservation, small town on Menominee Reservation. I am enrolled in the Oneida Tribe of Indians of Wisconsin. Uh, interesting circumstance in that 
I'm eligible for enrollment in three different tribes, nations, but only recognized by one by the United States government. It's a policy that the government has. And also when you get down to it, I'm descended from six different tribes and also in a European way, uh, French and English. So I am all of that. I love this place that we're at. I learned about it as a young person before I even got here, about the rivers, the confluence of rivers, the, the beings that live here. And certainly at an arrival time of 1968, I saw a Milwaukee, a a Menominee River that were quite different. And even into my teens when I went to Marquette University, because I am grounded in this, this city, I feel going to Marquette located right here in Milwaukee on the brochure as they were recruiting young teenagers in the 80s, 70s and 80s on the brochure at Marquette University. It said Marquette was bounded by the beautiful Menominee River, which it is. But they never said that there were uh, livestock processing plants along its shores and see that it was as polluted as it was. And, and if it was anything like the Milwaukee River, which I think it was, it only supported three species of fish at the time. <laughs> so on a brochure in the recruitment of students, the beautiful Menominee River, as I understood it to be from my parents, but then in reality, it was really quite something else. And it is due to folks like Eddie Daniel, people like him that they don't need this stuff explained to me that clean water matters. They don't need stuff to be explained that water should be swimmable, that it should be fishable. Um, there's, there's a group that has a saying about this fishable, swimmable, drinkable water. Um, but it, it is that place in time where we have to describe it, where it's a political stance to stand for clearing clean water. Uh, and that, that part is concerning, but also if one understands history and politics, unfortunately understandable from a Western point of view. So that's just kind of my opening statement. And the second thing I'd like to share before we go too far along is a great thank you to the, the folks of Milwaukee and residents that continue to the tradition of wanting to keep our water clean, of recruiting people and continually doing it. But that is a generational job, and it is a job that is never done. Uh, Milwaukee needs more people like Eddie Daniel. Hearing that little intro made me want to know more about you as a person. Yeah, so I guess I'd love it. Uh, so you weren't you aren't originally from the like Milwaukee area, or like you know what what brought you to to this this area. What was your, again, you alluded to this already, what was your, your view of the, the waterways, whether it was the Milwaukee River, Lake Michigan, and how has that transformed since uh, you've been in the area and, and, and seen it change? Well, I'll do the smaller piece, and it, it does affect how I see water and land. And, and one is we are the water and we are the land. And, and any idea for me as a person to separate myself from Milwaukee as land and Milwaukee with its water is uh, folly to me as a person. Even though I was born in a smaller community like Neopit, Wisconsin, far away, my ancestors are buried here and, and we've been here for thousands of years. And when I say the we, I mean an entire complexity of the word we, meaning those that have been in our past. 
those who are in our future, those of us that are here now, and certainly a spiritual presence that is felt far and wide by the people that have thoughts that are cast towards Milwaukee. I'm a part of all of that. And when I see myself as a part of all of it, when I arrive in Milwaukee as someone who had never seen it, I already knew that I belonged, which is the weirdest thing. But it does come with growing up as a native person in that, that belief that we are the land, we are the water, and that wherever we go on this great continent, we're home. So I know here the example would be uh, my own life. You asked a little bit about my beginning and, and to make it short, I was born to a single mom. Uh, my father was killed before I was born at the hands of his brothers. Um, unfortunately, it was uh, water related, right? The water that makes beer, the water that makes liquor, the water that milk, uh, mixes with drugs, fentanyl and so on, uh, washed down opioids with water can be abused. And there was abuse there. And my father grew up in, in a place where there was much abuse, physical, sexual, uh, mental, um, all of that. And I think he did his best as a teenager to make it through. And he wanted to make that through with my mom. And they didn't get there together. Uh, my mom found herself to be one of those single pregnant moms in the 1960. But my mom's family and my father's family came together and made sure I had a good and safe home on a Menominee reservation. And on that reservation, there was a river that was behind our house. And we could swim in it without fear. We could fish in it. Um, I don't remember drinking from it, but I remember drawing water from it to drink, you know, uh, living with my grandfather and, and uh, being treated with the greatest of kindnesses. And I thought everybody was like me. I, I really did. I, I just had this idea as that child that everybody has this, a, a grandma that cares, a, a grandfather that bends over backwards instead of, hey, can I have that cookie? They ask, how many do you want, right? That kind of guy. Uh, I had ants of innumerable numbers, right? Because it's not just a nuclear family on a reservation. It's many people looking out after you and yelling at you to correct you too. If you're doing something bad, it's a person that may be a stranger to you has no problem pulling over to the side of the road and saying, you shouldn't be playing with that. And this is what you should be doing, right? And then they get back in their car and go. That was like to be expected. So my mom, my biological mother came to get me in that uh, year of 68. And she would often talk in magical terms about Milwaukee having this halo of light, this place of unending resource, uh, which is certainly the place where I, I felt I was. I think a lot of workers that would come and visit our home, social workers, that kind of government worker would look at us and say, you live in substandard housing. But the love and the care for us was never, ever substandard. If anything, I found out it was more than standard. It was above standard care. It was the best of care that I experienced. And so I came to Milwaukee and, and marveled at the light, the ambient light that was around the city. It was a bit like a movie called The Wizard of Oz, which I had only seen in black and white. But it was like this halo. And when we came to the city, 
uh, we stopped at a place called Atlantic and Pacific. Older people know it as A&P. And my mom went in the store and I went in with her and it was really this, this another magical place that had lights beaming from it like a spaceship. Uh, and when we went in, I saw fruits of unimaginable colors and amounts. I didn't know that this kind of place existed or that food shelf upon shelf upon shelf of food. Just And all you had to do was grab it. Go to this smiling person at a register. I didn't know what a register that made these really cool sounds. And off you went. I was like, man, this is crazy. This is insane. So off we went to the Northland Housing Project or complex. And it sure didn't seem like any sort of housing complex. All Everybody was involved with everybody. Everybody said good morning. It was fairly new at the time. I didn't realize there were as many whites in the world as what I was seeing. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought maybe the in my kid head, I thought they traveled in cars, you know, because <laughs> that's what I saw on the reservation. They would come tour the reservation, and we would purposely play in the ditches and uh, dirty ourselves because then they were more likely to take our picture and pay us for the pictures. Because after they took our pictures, some of us would pretend to not speak English, hold our hand out, and then they'd give us magical nickels and dimes. And we could make uh, bear soda, I think it was the name of it, uh, up here, you know, at the store and get some of that. So point is, when I came to Milwaukee, I was totally unprepared. I, I didn't know what a stoplight was. I didn't know what a stop sign was. And, and if you don't know they exist, do they really exist? I didn't know my mom had to stop at corners, right? I, I thought she lost her mind when we came into the city. Why are we, there's nobody around. We came late at night. Uh, when I started school, a yellow bus came to get me, which I was used to, but so many different kinds of people came on. There were ways of greeting each other that I had no idea what it was. Uh, kid would hold their hand out. And then instead of like what became a, a giving of five or a, a slapping of the hand, it was more of a sliding of the hand, right? One hand slid across another. And that was a, a way of acknowledging an insider. And outsiders didn't get to do that. You know, only the uh, like uh, really connected got to do that, apparently. So I would try that. Of course, nobody would slide their hand across mine on the, on the school bus. But it was fascinating to me, because I thought African-American kids, black kids that were on the bus, I thought, I thought they were of a different tribe here in the United States. My uncles had come out of Vietnam and told me about a people, native people that spoke English differently than we did. Their hair was different. They had different ways of um, moving their hands. And I thought this was that, but it turns out it was not. <laughs> and I, I didn't know about white people and the amount of the number of them, just the sheer amount was, was um, surprising. And I, in no way was any of this intimidating. It was just different and curious because I, I was at that age where I was more curious than intimidated. Mark's move to Milwaukee opened up an entirely new world. From the politics and hierarchy of the playground at school to his mom asking him to pick a quote-unquote English name from the Bible, life in Milwaukee was certainly different. Throughout it all, though, the value and importance of water was always present. So as a kid, uh, my mom took me downtown and, and she said, hey, we're going to go to this place where these rivers meet. 
because it's it's near where that area where they meet is that the there are stories of a, a great being that is in that place quite beautiful and amazing uh stories of our past and and i i never look at them as stories they're actually living beings themselves and I remember, well, first I want you to introduce you to, to where it is. So, so she would often uh, go downtown. And I wasn't invited on those trips, but one, one day I was. And we were downtown and uh, we were walking above the Milwaukee River on one of the bridges. So when I, I was walking across that bridge, it had a graded uh, nature to it. And the bridge would bounce as cars would go by. So as a kid, it was pretty exciting. And when we got to the middle of it, uh, I remember her not speaking to me, but grabbing me by my shirt uh, because she knew right then that I was headed over the railing. Because to me, that was an exciting place to be. And that's what you did is you dove in and you swam, right? You just cannonballed into the water and you, you dive shallow. <laughs> so you get to learn stuff every now and again. And, and she said, you can't go in there. You know, and I was, I was like, oh, Okay, it's going to be that kind of walk. You know, I thought this was going to be some mom-son fun thing. It's like, no, no, I'm showing you stuff. And you can't, can't ever go in there. And I was like, why? She said, look at it. Smell it. And, it, and I was like, man, there is a smell to it I had never smelled. There, there were things floating in there that I didn't, you know, recognize. Uh, fish that were bloated. Usually if we see a fish in a way, it's either... We were because we were fishing or something happened and there was a die off and we figured out why that was. And now I was just seeing it without context, this kind of lifeless stuff. And, and it, it was concerning because uh, I didn't really see it, see it. Right. If, if all the water I had seen was full of life, I didn't perceive a water that was full of death. And so when I, I looked out, I also saw there was a black guy who was fishing. And I was like, Mom, why is, if this water is so bad, why is he fishing? And she told me, well, think about it. You know, aren't there kids that go to your school that are taking lunches? I'm like, yeah, I don't even know why they're doing that. She goes, because people don't have food. It's a different kind of being poor. Where we were from, people fed each other. If somebody didn't have something, we got it. And they'd usually have grocery bags on their porch before you know it. Here it was different. It's totally different in the city, different kind of ethic, I suppose. So when it came to the water and back to that, uh, there were places that people swam and there were places where people didn't. And so we kind of were in that place, like water, not even when people have a sense that we belong to it, like I did going to the water, she would say, look at this place where the public has access to the water on Lake Michigan. There's places where you can swim and there's places that you can't. And I don't know why. I, I wish she was around to remember. Were there places in the city's history where some could swim and some could not? I know for sure in the Milwaukee River, there are places in the Milwaukee River's history the, during the Industrial Revolution when that was beginning to happen, that lakes were created out of the Milwaukee River where some people could swim and others could not. And that definition was by color. Did that transcend into the 1960s uh, where their brown people could swim in one part but not in another? 
I think my mom was trying to, to help me understand, we would always go to a certain beach on the lakefront and that, that was for us. And there was another place that was not. No, there were no signs that divided us. But there seemed to be an understanding that that isn't where we go. That's for others. So it, like the lakefront and its access was for, in the springtime, fishermen. And that was quite uh, magic to me, again, to see fishermen throw nets out to get alewives and bring these nets full of fish, you know, and it was a social time for them. I don't, I don't see that anymore, that the lake is built up quite differently than when I was young. And the rivers have changed remarkably so. When I was talking to Mark about water, I found myself imagining the Milwaukee River and Lake Michigan in a way I had never before. Mark said water is life, and the way he talked of water perfectly reinforced that belief. And this was most evident when Mark shared the story of his recent canoe trip down the Milwaukee River, a river that had new life for the first time in over a century. Sturgeon hadn't been there for over 180 years. And I thought if there was a time for Menominee to come back onto that water in a, in a way that's recognized, and it, this is a Menominee-led event, and it would be Menominee canoes on that water, Menominee's in those canoes together, that if any time, this would be that time. And so that's what led me to, to do this. Eddie sent me a note, said I asked around about Native people in the community. And I was like, well, I tried to push it off to other people. And then I saw this article that came about at the same time. And it was to me an imperative that Menominee's must return. This is my clan. This is my water clan. These are my kindred people and spirits. And, and I need to be a part of it. And so do my brothers and sisters. This is a we thing. This isn't an I thing. And that's where it kind of run into trouble when we think this is my story of the water. It is not. This is our story with the water. And that's why I like Eddie's approach too. He may not know it, but his approach to the water is an our approach, not an I approach. That river and those lakes, that is all of us. And I'm not trying to editorialize it or make some kind of pronouncement. It's just true. What happens to one of us is, is going to befall all of us. And seeing the wildlife and, and the kind of beings that had once been there returning, beaver, mink, right? It's, uh, at least for me, I feel a lot of joy when, when I see it because it's, it's happening in my lifetime, and I wish my mom was around to see it. So, so Eddie gives me a call, um, email, I think he reached out and, and someone referenced him to me, said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know more. And I said, you know, this is, and he wanted a piece written by a native person. That was important to him because he, he thought it was such an important part of the story of this river. And, and, I, and that's where the, the I meets the we. <laughs> to me, it's like, this is more than just one person's story. And there needs to be more than just one person saying it. And it needs to be more than one person's experience. And it needs to be a First Nations experience. And it needs to be multiple voices. 
And we also need our women's voices. You know, that that because it's often we see guys talking about stuff, right? But it's women's responsibility within uh, many of our ceremonies that women speak for the water. There's a song that comes with it, all of that, uh, to memorialize the creation story of water on this earth is a part of those responsibilities. And so we need that presence. I individually cannot do this by myself. So I sent a note to Menominee Nation. They already had a group together called Manikinikin. It's a nonprofit group. And they were on the front lines of beating back a uh, mine that was proposed near the creation uh, place of Menominee Nation on the Menominee River, the Menominee River that is between the state lines of Wisconsin and Green Bay, I'm sorry, Wisconsin and Michigan. So they were fighting a mine. This was happening for years. They didn't want this thing to happen. Of recent, that fight has been won by many, many people and many organizations with Manikinikin in the front. And so I thought that is an organization I'm going to call. And there's folks I know because they're familiar with canoeing. They're familiar because they wanted to canoe the Menominee River. They wanted to create a love of the water with canoes, with swimming, right? To kind of reintroduce ourselves, ourselves. Because there was a time in Native history when we were removed from our environments forcefully because people didn't want us to be relating to the environment, to the earth or to the water. So they would take us children. Uh, and by that, I mean those of my grandfather's age. Forcefully from parents, place them in boarding schools where a lot of them didn't come back home. They were forced to speak English. They were civilized, for lack of a better word and to be made unfamiliar with their own ancestral ways. And so we have an entire generation like this, raising other children, and these children wanting to have hunger and a knowledge for what was more than boarding school experience, more than boarding school sorts of uh, teaching. Manikinikin is a part of that wave and generation that has foretold by our prophets that they would be returning to language. They would be returning to our past for answers for today. Because within one of those prophecies is uh, our a new people would be born to this earth. And that new people, they would have uh, come to a fork in the road. And, and in one fork, that, that way leads to destruction more of it in, in all uh, complete and the other path leads to a future where we have a future and, and which way are we going to go right it, it was it would be in this time when that fork would present itself and there would that new people on earth would have a chance to make an informed choice so all of this is in my mind right <laughs> i'm wondering and he's like hey i need a native writer I'll come on and check it out. And uh, I was like, well, I want to be on the water. And he said, I'll take you. I was like, okay. And in my head, I have that experience with my mom grabbing me by the shoulder and keeping me from jumping from the bridge, right? It's like, this is a Milwaukee River. What's it going to be like? And I was really hopeful because I've read so many things. The work of this has been over a couple generations now going to reclaim the Milwaukee River. It's not just, this, this didn't happen overnight. 
and, and so in my mind, I also remember a boat parade. Many years ago, there was another native uh, named Jim Denomi and myself. Uh, an organization wanted us to lead a boat parade. They were going to do this wonderful thing called the Milwaukee River Walk and redevelop downtown businesses along the river walk. And so they wanted a couple natives to row a canoe and go in front of all of these really cool boats and so on that would go down this river that was completely brown, still smelled and The idea was they're gonna revitalize this thing. So that was the last time I was on the canoe. So for sure, uh, in that river. So for sure, I wanted to have company again but only more of that presence. And so when he asked, do I want to do it? I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it with you. But the only reason I'm going alone with him is to act as a guide, to, to experience what others would experience. So at least I could say, this is what you can expect. Because being with our water can be an emotional experience for some of us especially a place like the Milwaukee River, the Kinnickinnick, the Menominee, because we've been separated from them for so long. You know, it's not unlike someone to experience one of us uh, breaking down in tears or, or smiling or, or laughing or just calling out to call out in the sheer sense of joy of being reunited with the lands that we've been forcefully or told to not be from or redlined out of. And now we're rejoined with them, those beings in the water, the feeling that comes from that, the sense of childlike wonder and love that I talked about at the beginning, that that comes full into a person. And, and that experience was very much a part of the experience. And I wanted to be prepared myself. So that's why I went alone with Eddie on it. I experienced that, I, I was quiet, I went through it. It's tough to explain to someone about that emotional connection, but I could explain it to my brothers and sisters um, in Menominee and say, this isn't something that we choose to do. This is something we must do. And, and that much conversation happened and there was an ascent to it. Uh, and there was a great number of Menominees that came from Menominee and went on this in in a from the very moment of beginning that second for me the second canoe piece I, I i wish i had words for it but i don't our women set up a place of acknowledgement and respect in in with copper with our religious instruments and they sang to the water they sang to all the people that were present on the bank where we would begin to uh, load our canoes. And before we even set foot or a finger in that water, acknowledgement was given. And then messages were given to the water. So that message into the water would spread from that very place and spread out to all of our relatives to let them know of our intentions, that we were coming into their home, that would be reunited again, and that we were coming. And we were asking their permission to be there for their ascent and that they also they would hold us and cherish and care for us and not let harm come to us when we enter their world. All of that was happening in that those beginning kind of moments before we even went into the water. 
So we put our medicines across the water. Some of us watched as, as our medicines spread out across the water and, and created shapes of what we would expect and what was coming. For other people, it was a placement of our medicines and it was acknowledgement enough. And we went about the tasks of unloading canoes and, and getting them down there, then pairing up. <laughs> Canoeing is always fun. If you're not sure if you get along with somebody, go on a long canoe ride with them. Uh, you'll find out because you're not going to go too far without them. Uh, so it's a, it's a good thing. So we, we paired up. We had our eagle feathers and our, our staffs with us. Uh, and we went into that water with a yell, a great yell that brings attention of those in the water, those above and all around us that were doing this. You know, it's like a kid that goes into the water and they're yelling, right? just so happy. And they're sharing that joy and that, that went all across this, this world that we're here and we're going inside and, and we're going to be above and maybe a canoe will tip over and we're going to be inside and we'll swim around for sure. And, uh, but this is what we need to do. We couldn't say no. This was a, an imperative, if I can use that word, that, that we be there and, and do these acknowledgements. So that was just the beginning. And then in between uh, were the experiences of everybody kind of feeling the work that had been done years upon years of work. We were going from, hey, this is a city to a place that looks like this could be our home reservation with an area building in sight, a person in sight. And then going by uh, Hmong fishermen next to a black fisherman, next to white fishermen, all fishing for different reasons. <laughs> one guy fishing for sport, one guy fishing for food, and another guy just because he loves fishing. You know, you, you guess what culture comes with what, right? <laughs> People can be pretty spot on about that. Uh, and you know, one guy, when they come home with that fish, or, or a woman we saw too, uh, that there will be much celebration in the house when they do that. And another home is just a quiet kind of uh, contribution to food that is needed desperately needed in that home. And along the way, we saw encampments of homeless people, not much further removed from those who have uh, wealth enough to define the life as they choose. And that, that was also humbling to see it in reality. And it was a water that was showing us these lessons. And we learned a lot. I, I think there was certainly more we learned than anything we could teach people on that short trip we had on the Milwaukee River. I wish I could be like those uh, professional speakers right now who have, if you only take away from this talk, take these three things, right? And they have these lovely pictures and so I can't, I'll just leave it with two the things that I believe in. And it's not to turn a phrase like some people do, but it does turn a phrase. And the idea of stewardship, you know, if you can just reverse that thinking and come to believe that she, that water, because we're all born in water. I've not yet met one person that wasn't born of and in water. Uh, that she's the one that stewards us. And that little different way of thinking brings about a massive change of thought. And, and instead of saying, maybe I'll do this and maybe I won't do this for the water, it becomes, I must do this for the water. I must do this for the water. 
because she looks out after us. She has heard everything. She cleans us, she cares for us. She is there for us. And in doing so, we must be there for her. That, that she is never without love for us. Uh, second thing I, I would offer is in order to, to feel any connection with anything, you have to be present. And that presence begins with awareness. So being aware, hey, it's out there. And then making that next step is to be present with her. Be present with the water. In, in what way? Even if it's just to visit a park or to, to look at it, to take a piece of your favorite reading or a favorite memory or a friend and make one of those old-fashioned kind of picnic lunches and just sit by the water and listen to watch the birds of the air of every color and song come around it and to sit still in a place where perhaps you don't think anybody is and be surrounded by neighbors you never really saw act in a way you never really saw, like the raccoons or uh, deer or, or other ones, muskrats, and so all of them, right? They'll, they act different when they not think they're not being watched. And you, they're neighbors to you, right? You learn something from them, but you have to make that thing. You have to be present. So, so that one is to, to, to understand that the water stands, that she is a steward to us. And the second is to be present for that stewardship, brings forward all that sense of responsibility that we should feel to her. Because she is the blood of the earth, that living, breathing, organizing mother, feminine force to all of us. And uh, should we have a healthy relationship with our mom, we can understand it. And for those that haven't had healthy relationships with their mom, that knowledge of a loving and healthy relationship is waiting for them. And it can begin with the land and it can begin with the water. Next, we talk to Eddie Daniel, whose new book, The Milwaukee River Greenway, is what inspired this episode and, by the way, would make a great gift for anyone who loves Milwaukee and its green spaces. I ask him about his interest in photography and his desire to write this book. Well, the, let me separate those things for a moment uh, to begin with, because I've been taking photographs of the Milwaukee River Greenway for many, many years, and I, I didn't conceive of doing the book until I became artist in residence, which was last year. I, I, this is my second year as artist in residence for River Revitalization Foundation. I approached them to be uh, part of the program, which is called Art Servancy which is a, a, a fascinating program. I, I just love it. It's been going on for three years as a partnership between Gallery 224 in Port Washington, which is an art gallery, and a number of uh, land trusts and, and pre preservation organizations like River Revitalization Foundation. Uh, and that's when I brought the idea to them of creating a book. And this wasn't a new idea because... Uh, Kimberly Gleffey, who is the executive director of RRF, um, has worked with me in the past on previous, my, my first book, which was called Urban Wilderness. So th this was not out of left field or anything. Uh, they knew that I did books and uh, the quality of the books that I've produced in the past. 
and so doing a book about the Greenway was a natural for both of us, I think. And before we got into the book itself, I wanted to learn more about what made Eddie so passionate about the environment. Yes, I, I have always loved the environment. Um, I, I taught photography, so that was, I didn't just teach photography, I taught art and many, many subjects. But uh, in terms of my own practice, I, I tended to gravitate towards photography uh, for, for a long time. And, and I've been taking pictures, uh, photographs of nature uh, and various things related to the natural world as it intersects the cultural world uh, for many years. Uh, and that interest in nature has come from all my life. I mean, I, I grew up as a kid, I, I played in the woods. I mean, that's what people my age were able to do. Um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's something that's a little more challenging for parents to, to allow their kids to go out and roam freely, but that's what I was allowed to do. And I, I gained a love for nature by being in it, immersed in it as a, at a young age. And, and, I grew up at a time when the uh, nature and the environment was very much on people's minds. Earth Day in 1970 was something, I, I was a, a senior in high school on Earth Day in 1970, and that was something I attended. I mean, the, I, I grew up in New York, near New York City, and I went into New York to be at a made big Earth Day rally, uh, the first Earth Day. And I've been an advocate for the environment ever since then. So it comes with a long pedigree there. Eddie mentions how this is his most collaborative work yet. And that collaborative nature resembles what it takes to keep a space like the Milwaukee River Greenway accessible to all. It took not only a number of nonprofit organizations working on this, but uh, civic or organizations, government organizations, um, business leaders. Uh, I mean, this this was a major project. You, you don't protect 878 acres in the middle of the city without a lot of collaboration and, and work from many, many partners. And before all of that good work took place to preserve the Milwaukee River Greenway, I wanted to back up a bit and learn more about the history, something you can read more about in Eddie Daniels' book. And in, in a nutshell, I mean, real briefly, um, th when, when the European settlers began to uh, settle along the rivers, uh, th one of the things they did was build dams in order to create power uh, opportunities to use water power. And there was a, a dam early on in 1843, uh, a dam was created at North Avenue, just south of North Avenue, which was one of the factors that established what we now know of as the, the Greenway. And, and behind the dam, they, and, and at that time and when they were doing that, uh, you know, the, the practice was to cut down all the trees and use them for uh, various things. I mean, for lumber and for fuel and for all kinds of things. And so... Most of the trees along the Greenway got cut down. The, the dam backed up along a uh, lake, uh, we, a pond. It, it's not really a lake, a long, thin pond behind the dam that stretched all the way from North Avenue up to Capitol Drive, about a two-mile stretch. And it became, over time, it became 
a, a resort area. I mean, it was a, a, a place where people could swim and it was much more comfortable to swim in than the lake because the lake is cold and there are waves and that sort of thing. So between 1843 and, and about 100 years later, the place to go to swim was behind the North Avenue Dam. And in this, the, the river valley became an area that was developed for the purpose with resorts all the way along it. But unfortunately, in the middle 20, 20th century, industry caught up with things and the, the river became so severely polluted that nobody wanted to go there anymore. And so it became degraded. And um, without going into all kinds of detail, um, it went fallow and, and feral, <laughs> and people didn't. People shunned it for about 60, 70 years until the end of the 20th century when groups like River Revitalization Foundation and the Urban Ecology Center and others uh, started to uh, reclaim it and uh, re revive it, and as the name says, revitalize it. Knowing the history of the Greenway and all of the work that has gone into preserving it, I wanted Eddie to sort of paint us a picture of what is this space that we're talking so fondly about in case you haven't been there. Sure, sure. So before I get that specific, let me, let me just briefly mention that the Greenway run, it's 878 acres and it runs from just south of North Avenue for about eight miles up to Silver Spring Drive. And it incorporates 12 named parks, uh, that some of which, m most of which are Milwaukee County parks, but there are some other, there's a shore, village of Shorewood Park and there's a couple of private, privately owned parks. Uh, one of the parks is owned by River Revitalization Foundation, which is a land trust. Um, so there are a number of parks incorporated into what we know of as the Greenway. It isn't all one thing, um, but it is connect. They're all connected by the river, and some of the parks are more developed as you would expect a park to be, with you know playing fields and facilities and golf course in one case and, and things like that. But men, men, many of the parks are left and parts of the parks are left um, in a more natural state. Um, and as, as you get from, if, as you go down the river from north to south, the land gets narrower, the, the river gets narrower and the bluffs close in and, and becomes more of a valley. And in fact, you get the sense that you're no longer in the, the city of Milwaukee. You know, as you walk or I, the best way to experience this is in a boat, in a kayak or canoe. Uh, as you walk or canoe down the river, uh, you get to be underneath the tree, the canopy of the trees. It's quiet. Uh, it's it's closed in and the city disappears. Uh, there are, as you proceed down the several miles of the Greenway, you have to go under a couple of bridges, of course, but uh, for the most part, you're in this serene space that is, it's hard to imagine if you've never been there because you don't feel like you're in the city anymore. And, and that's one of the most remarkable experiences. And, and one of the things that if you ask people what they think about the Greenway, that's what people re remark on the most is, wow, is this is, we're still in Milwaukee 
And in fact, we're we're not just some outlying part of Milwaukee. We're we're within 1.5 miles of City Hall, right downtown. And there you are, feeling like you're up north somewhere. One of the things I I love to share is, as I mentioned, the 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 Greenway is 878 acres, and the thing that strikes me is that this is larger than a park everyone knows about, which is New York's Central Park. Central Park in New York is world famous for good reason. I, mean, I love Central Park and, and I'm from New York and so I've been there many times and, and I, I love visiting it. <laughs> we have a park that's bigger than that and it's in the same kind of proximity to downtown as Central Park is. <laughs> In New York, and and people don't come to Milwaukee just expecting to see a park like that, and that this is the most surprising thing to me, and the thing I can't get over, uh, and and I can't share enough often enough is this is something more people could be talking about, and and <laughs> I, I would love to think that this book will help. Uh, make people more aware of the treasure that this is in our midst. And and the fact that people could be thinking of coming to Milwaukee with the express idea that here's a park of the stature and nature of Central Park in New York. Why, why not just come here to see this? Because it's, and it's even managed as, as a natural area rather than a, a developed park, which is, makes it quite unique. A park right here in the city of Milwaukee the size of Central Park. Now that is amazing. And what else is amazing is the book that Eddie Daniel put together in collaboration with so many other folks. And so I thought it would be appropriate now to just stop and hear from Eddie read a part of his book. Well, as I told you when you asked me this, uh, choosing a favorite passage is a difficult thing. It's kind of like choosing a favorite child. But I, I will a section from the introduction. Uh, Here it goes. This is how the introduction begins. I learned to love the Milwaukee River Greenway long before it was identified as such and before it became the popular destination it is today. I have always been a lover of unkempt nature, having grown up in a time when no one would have called kids feral or free-range simply for being raised with the freedom to roam. The unspoiled backyard woodlot and the nearby creek were the places I chose to roam. I was never taught the names of trees or wildflowers, but I came to feel at home among them. Well before I conceived the title of my first book, I was drawn to what I would come to call urban wilderness. Back then, the Milwaukee River environs would have fit anyone's definition of that ambiguous term. It wasn't only wild in the sense of uninhibited nature left to its own devices. It was also an uncontrolled and uncivilized, barbarous type of wild, which is the way Merriam-Webster defines the term. I think that's a great place to end our conversation with Eddie Daniel, that excerpt does a great job displaying how beautifully written the book is and how important it is to learn more about the Milwaukee River Greenway and its importance to our community and to our city. 
And of course, Bridger City is all about action. So we're going to finish off talking to someone who's been doing the good work in the community, taking care of this green space and so many others through the River Revitalization Foundation. Here is executive director of that organization, Kimberly Gleffey. Yeah, I'm uh, Kimberly Gleffey. I'm the executive director of the River Revitalization Foundation. I've been there 20 years in September, so a long tenure of doing really rewarding work. River Revitalization Foundation is Milwaukee's Urban Rivers Land Trust. So we are focused on conserving riverfront lands, connecting green space, providing equitable and inclusive access to the rivers and the parks and the green space along the waterways, working with students um, at UW-Milwaukee, service learning and high school interns in the summer to try to build the next generation of stewards to protect these places, especially in the city where it's so critical to have places for people to go who live in these urban areas, you know, for calm, for reflection, for respite, for recreation. Um, and, and again, more importantly, in the last year, year and a half during COVID, um, people are looking to get out into nature for mental and physical health and benefit, um, you know, just to get, get out there and, and feel like life is somewhat normal. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And right in the beginning of that introduction, you mentioned that you all, the River Revitalization Foundation, is a land trust. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit aware of what that means, but can you share a bit more for listeners? What does it mean to be a land trust? We are a nonprofit organization devoted to protecting land and water resources for public benefit. So we actually acquire land for conservation and habitat and for public recreation and access. Um, and I do, I do want to mention that even though we own land and manage it, for biodiversity, a healthy environment equals a healthy community and healthy lives. Um, I do want to acknowledge that we are on ancestral lands of the Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee nations. Um, so land ownership is a whole nother topic, <laughs> um, but we are, we are trying to be stewards of these places that have such rich historical context um, in Milwaukee on the shores of Michigami or Lake Michigan. Yeah, you had mentioned uh, sort of the topic of land ownership broadly. We won't dive into that, although I'd <laughs> love to, on a different note or different time, uh, have that conversation with you because there is a lot to unpack there. Um, but it is a bit radical in our society in in sort of the American uh, view of of private property and land ownership and the benefits of the, the quote unquote benefits of land ownership for like profit's sake. Meanwhile, you all exist um, to own the land, but to own it for the benefit of the public, Correct. Uh, which might seem a little bit, um, you know, if, if you all aren't in possession of it, it could very well be um, in the possession of perhaps some developers or, you know, uh, the the shore of the river could, could be owned by some, new condos which are seemingly popping up every now and then correct but instead you mm-hmm. your your possession of the land is for public use yeah and for habitat as well we can't forget about the critters and the wildlife yeah. <laughs> you know that live here too we all depend on on the ecosystem um, and the Milwaukee River Greenway of course is one of those very special yeah. places 
you know, that helps balance the built and natural environment. Certainly. And you'd mentioned you have been executive director for 20 years, Mm -hmm. uh, which means you've been doing this work for a long time. What got you started in land conservation and stewardship? Did you know that this was sort of your calling from a young age or, yeah, tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it's been quite a journey because I have no environmental background whatsoever. (laughs) Um, But as a kid, I think it probably started as a kid with my family vacations. We, We would always go camping and canoeing and my dad's a big fisherman and and hunter and I'm not a hunter I went duck hunting with my dad once that was it (laughs) that was that was all of the hunting I ever did Um, as soon as that duck got shot and fell from the sky I was in tears and he had to take me back into shore (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it was you know we were exposed to that natural world and and recreating outdoors at a very early age um, so it was really instilled in me personally. Um, and and then my my professional journey really began um, in the nonprofit sector. I've been in the nonprofit sector my entire career, working mostly in education with Milwaukee Public Schools, um, middle school students considered, quote, at risk, unquote. I don't like that term, but at the time, that's how they were referred to, just students who needed a little extra boost in the curriculum and you as a teacher might might understand that um, aspect. Um, but we we were running I was running um, tutoring and mentoring programs with Milwaukee Public Schools um, and did lots of math and science programs um, working at the YMCA and engineers and scientists in Milwaukee at Marquette University. And then it you know after many years of doing that work I I just felt uh, a little tug, you know, to, to change direction. And I was volunteering at the United Way of Greater Milwaukee and serving on the basic needs committee, reviewing proposals and doing site visits with funded agencies and evaluating programs and the investments that were being made in the basic needs portfolio, which was food and shelter, um, especially in, in poverty stricken neighborhoods. Um, and through that work, I found out about the River Revitalization Foundation, and that led me on this next journey of doing land protection, um, especially in an urban area, which is unusual for land trusts, really. So it really blended the the outdoor, you know, um, love that I have with the work of making sure that people from all different neighborhoods and all different backgrounds can experience that for themselves as well. Um, So it was a really, really nice place to land. And um, again, urban conservation isn't really one of the main um, focuses of traditional land trusts. It's mostly like vast ranch lands or, or huge watersheds or, you know, the up North forests and, you know, wilderness areas or, or larger natural areas um, mostly for habitat for wildlife protection, which is which is needed and fabulous. Um, but what about the cities and nature in the city, and a wealth of nature, um, as Eddie Daniel um, has been working on, you know, to to make sure that that message comes across that there are valuable places in the city that are still natural and provide habitat, um, not only for again the critters but the people who live here. 
Um, so, so that's been our emphasis, and, and we've been able to take that messaging to the state and national level um, so that cities are included in, in this work and community engagement is seen as an essential piece of that work where the collective voice of the community can help protect these places as well, such as the Greenway. Yeah, and so you talked a bit about how it's unusual for land trusts to exist in an urban environment. So can you talk a bit about uh, the importance of uh, particularly the Milwaukee River green space, but I mean, you can extend that to all the rivers uh, throughout the city of Milwaukee. Uh, How unique is it? Can you maybe reference, uh, do you show up at uh, national conferences or something and people are confused by why somebody from Milwaukee is talking about land trusts and land conservation? Uh, Maybe talk about that. And then um, the relative importance for our community, for our city to preserve, conserve and protect these, these places. Yeah, so I, I recall one of my first conferences that I attended as a new RRFer um, in Indiana. It was the Midwest Conference of the Land Trust Alliance. And most of the sessions were on agricultural easements and cow poop. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, oh, hmm, you know, we don't have a lot of cows in Milwaukee. You know, this this isn't quite relevant to this work. So, I just started to question, you know, why cities weren't part of that agenda. And they are now. There's a there's now a community engagement emphasis within the Land Trust Alliance looking at cities, especially because of policy work that again, a lot of people need to get behind and advocate for um, environmental issues. Um, and most people live in cities. So that was kind of the, the uh, bandwagon I got on, you know, hey, don't forget about the urban areas. <laughs> um, so that was, that was quite a, an interesting journey, too. Um, and, and now with all the focus on green infrastructure, you know, having, when, you know, with all our flooding that we've had in Milwaukee, um, stormwater management, flood management. Um, we work a lot with the Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewerage District and their Green Seams program. And, you know, it's it was just really um, eye-opening that, hey, wait a minute, we, we really need natural buffers along waterways to help reduce flooding. And, and we need native plants to with deep roots to, to provide infiltration of, of stormwater and, and take out pollutants um, before they enter the waterways. Um, We need green roofs and rain barrels and, you know, detention ponds and bioswales, you know, to, to capture water um, and, and help reduce flooding. So the whole green infrastructure um, piece is really important, especially in a city where you have so much, impervious surfaces like parking lots and roads and and roofs um, so there's that whole piece as well and and I think all of those strategies are now shown to help combat well combat I don't know climate change um, you know the urban tree canopy there's much more tree planting going on to sequester carbon um, and dam removal, again, to help reduce flooding and, and return rivers to their natural flow. It's healthier for the fish. 
Um, so all of those things are all helping to improve the environmental quality of the whole Milwaukee River Basin and Lake Michigan and all the coastal communities, as well as address climate change. If someone saw or perhaps even smelled the Milwaukee River 20, 30 years ago, uh, can, can you kind of catch us up? What might they see? Uh, how might they have experienced the river um, a few decades prior to today? Well, it probably reeked, <laughs> you know, it, there were sewer overflows and dumping and, and it, it just smelled to high heaven and the tanneries, you know, were still active and discharging animal byproducts into the rivers. So it was really kind of an open sewer. Um, and then the Clean Water Act came along and, and things started to turn around. And I think about too, the downtown river walk. Um, businesses initially had, you know, their back to the river, the back of the building to the river. Um, and now they're fronting the river and, you know, it's a destination and it's an amenity for the city. Um, and the, the greenway itself was, was recognized as an important resource, which is evidenced by the city of Milwaukee and the village of Shorewood passing conservation overlay zoning to protect the whole riparian corridor um, for all those activities that you mentioned, you know, kayaking, hiking, biking, birding, you know, all of these fun things that we can do outside without having to leave the, the city, <laughs> you know, where the greenway is only a mile from downtown and you feel like you're up in the northern reaches of the state. Um, and that whole concept was to protect the view shed. So when you're on a riverfront trail or you're paddling on the river, you don't see any buildings. There aren't any visual intrusions. Um, and that's a really special, special thing in a dense urban area. I underestimated the intentionality behind something like a view shed, something that I honestly had, had really even heard that term prior to this episode but also mm -hmm. hadn't thought much about, although I appreciated it tremendously. So when I was on the river or hiking along the Oak Leaf Trail, the feeling of being completely surrounded by green, just like, I mean, you can go into the psychology of, around how it like literally benefits your mental health and the, your feelings. But for me personally, I was just like, wow, this is so amazing. Like, how, <laughs> you know, this is so amazing. Uh, uh, convenient that the plants had grown this way not thinking mm -hmm. of course that people were very intentional around preserving the view shed uh in organizations like you all and others and so maybe talk a bit about that uh obviously the river revitalization foundation has been doing amazing work for years here in the area um what are some other organizations or groups that you've worked with or you continue to work with to help preserve and steward the land the Milwaukee River Greenway Coalition is 15 years old this year, and we are celebrating our partnership of all of the organizations working in the River Valley that include the Urban Ecology Center, Milwaukee Riverkeeper, Milwaukee County Parks. Parks own 70% of the land within the Milwaukee River Greenway. Uh, Friends of Lincoln Park, Friends of Esterbrook Park, the Bike Federation of Wisconsin, um, the Quakers, Friends Meeting, um, boy, I'm going to forget, Near, Nearby Nature and the Sierra Club, um, the Milwaukee River Advocates. There's, there's several different organizations and then including municipalities 
and the sewerage district as other partners. But this coalition um, came together 15 years ago to protect the, the river valley. And it started with the clear cutting of 1,200 feet of shoreline um, in Shorewood. And there was a huge uproar, like, how can this happen? And we did some research, and there are no Department of Natural Resources um, shoreline protections in place within the whole county of Milwaukee. Um, so we were like, well, we really need to protect this place. And a, a vision paper was published called Milwaukee Central Park. And that actually led to a big community groundswell um, in advocacy to, to get this place zoned um, as a greenway, which happened. And then there's a greenway master plan that has recommendations within it that all of we, par as partners of the coalition, are implementing and each have our expertise and volunteers and community people coming together, landowners, corporate um, volunteers, all coming together to continue to implement this plan. And it, it does revolve around trails for public access, canoe and kayak launches to get on the water, um, habitat restoration and, and preservation of natural areas, connecting the parks. Um, so all of us have been working very intentionally for 15 years um, on, on this effort. And we're celebrating this year with the um, 15 year anniversary of the Greenway by hosting events and activities for 15 weeks this summer going through October 16th. Um, and each partner is hosting a week of activities throughout that 15 week period. Um, we have all of that information on our website and we encourage the public to get involved in these organizations and events and activities that are being offered to celebrate this place. One thing I love talking to folks uh, who've worked in this this line of work for, for a bit now is just actually taking a step back from the work itself and, and thinking about your own personal experience with the space. And so I'm wondering if there's like a hidden gem or some part of the the Milwaukee River itself or the green space that you love that others might not know as much about um, or that you just, you know, brings you happiness or joy whenever you think about a particular space uh, along the river? Oh, well, I would have to point out the most recent emphasis of my personal devotion. <laughs> um, in the upper reaches of the Greenway, there is a little gem that we're calling the Westerbrook Trail. And it's across from the Esterbrook Parkway on the West Bank. Hence, we're calling it Westerbrook Trail. Pretty clever, I think. <laughs> um, and Love this that. is this is a link in the potential twelve mile loop of riverfront trails within the Greenway, from Port Washington and Hampton downstream to the Blue Hole, which is a filled quarry um, and beautiful habitat for dragonflies and turtles and frogs and lichen and mussels. There have been some habitat inventories that have been done there. But this is also um, along the banks where the Esterbrook Dam was removed. And now that the dam's gone, the river is flowing freely and there have been sturgeon coming upstream to spawn that have been tagged and, and recorded by the, the DNR. 
And one of the coolest parts about this little piece of trail is the installation of art sculptures that were created with pieces of the demolished dam. So we're calling it the Dam Art Sculpture Garden. And there's, it's a little surprise as you're walking along the trail. It's a feature and we, we have been doing some healing nature forest bathing hikes on this trail. And you come upon the Esterbrook Falls and the art sculptures from the old dam. And it's just a really cool place that not many people know about and provides that audible water sound of the falls. And then the, the visual creativity of this sculpture garden turning, you know, repurposing and turning old concrete and metal gates into art, um, river related art. And, and then also the visceral experience of walking through the urban tree canopy and being enveloped by, um, by nature. And then you come across this old quarry um, and in the winter you could probably ice skate on it. And then in the summer you can fish and it's, it's just a lovely little place. And it's only a half mile long, but it does connect to trails continuing downstream to Kern Park and at Capitol and Humboldt. Um, but we are actually going to be physically constructing this trail this fall with an AmeriCorps crew and it you can walk it now it's it's just a you know social path and people can walk it now but it'll be formally a public place because of easements donated by the corporate Glendale corporate park landowners so it, it's a public place and it will be um celebrating again the the dam removal and another link in the whole greenway riverfront trail system Hopefully my conversation with Kimberly Gleffey was good insight about how many people are doing good work in order to steward and take care of the land here in our city and our community and was an inspiration for yourself to get involved. Uh, speaking of being inspired, let us end this episode with today's action steps. So, of course, every single episode of Bridge City, as you all know, ends with tangible action steps and how to get involved and make a difference in the community. And here are those now. I would like to just um, spotlight the Art Servancy Program and Eddie's book that he's just published, A Wealth of Nature, Connecting People and Places in the Heart of the City, um, hot off the press. But the Art Servancy Program is, is through Gallery 224 in Port Washington, and it's artists being partnered with land trusts to put creative elements you know, through preserves or lands that have been protected and have natural features. Um, and we've been fortunate to have three artists in residence this year, Eddie among them. And we've got filmmakers and ceramicists and authors. Um, so I just wanna um, spotlight that program because it's, it's really cool and we hope to continue that as well. It's just another way to uh, celebrate this place um, through creative outlets. Yeah, the probably the simplest thing, I mean, there are any number of things that can be done, but one of the simplest things is that every year, the Milwaukee River Keepers uh, hold an annual river cleanup uh, that 
thousands of people volunteer. And all along all three of Milwaukee's rivers, including the Milwaukee River Greenway, and there are groups that come down uh, and specifically to do this once a year and clean up the river, uh, individuals can do that as well. So that's one of the simple, simple things, not a long time commitment or anything, you know, once or a couple times a year, you come down and join in with the effort to make things cleaner. We have volunteer opportunities throughout the year with a program we call FORB. FORB stands for Fostering Our Riparian Biodiversity. And it's a volunteer program for community engagement that we offer every Monday and Friday afternoon and Saturday mornings. And you can come out and do field and habitat restoration, um, pulling garlic mustard, cutting buckthorn, planting trees, planting native plants within the river valley. And that that continues all year long. And then we also have other um, sites outside of the Greenway where we can schedule different groups to come help plant trees um, or do trail or path maintenance. Um, So there's always volunteer opportunities. And then um, with the Greenway itself, we have this Greenway 15 and we invite everyone to participate and celebrate this place and become stewards of this place and advocate for its continued protection, as well as um, a hike 15 challenge. You can come on out and hike the riverfront trails. As I mentioned, 12 miles um, are about a loop within the Greenway. And if you hike 15 miles for 15 years, you're entered into a raffle to win some really cool prizes donated by local sponsors. So you can it's do it yourself. You can just go and keep track of your miles. We provide a map with with uh, mileage indicators, and you can sign up for that and get engaged that way. And then we also have um, events that we offer: film screenings, paddles, hikes, um, sometimes with partner groups, and then sometimes just on our own. So can always participate in in those activities as well. Thank you so much for listening to Bridge the City. As always, please let us know how you enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on social media, share us on different platforms, like and subscribe to the podcast itself, wherever you listen to podcasts or on the multiple platforms you listen. Uh, Of course, the holidays, you'll be with family and friends. Good time to offer recommendations, what you listen to on a regular basis, things that help you stay engaged. And hopefully Bridge the City is on that list of recommendations. And then lastly, again, I know I said this in the beginning, but shout out to our patrons. If you want to support Bridges City, you can for as little as $4.14. That's 414 at patreon.com slash bridge the city. And as always, please feel free to reach out and let us know how you have helped bridge the city. Bridge the city.